You are listening to Behind the Forbid Podcast, episode 25, Interview with Chad Williams, part one. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, the podcast designed to grow young ministers. This is Tim Lucas, and with me today in the grand virtual studio is Nigel Ali. How's it going, Nigel? Hey, man. Doing great. Now, you probably noticed we didn't intro Ryan. That's because his wife is currently having a baby. Yes, he said I could tell you that because by the time this is released, hopefully, fingers crossed, the baby will have already been born. Um she would be quite overdue if it's not. So I think we're safe in saying that. If not, I'll cut all that out. And also with us, we are so honored and overjoyed to have with us today, uh, Metro Missionary Chad Williams. Thanks for joining us tonight, Brother Williams. It's exciting to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Now, just a couple minutes before we started recording, you and uh, Nigel, uh, just amazing to me, I didn't quite put it together, that you have an amazing connection. You talked about that you actually spent some time, a short period, ministering in in Fiji. What were you in Fiji for? Yeah, so we were actually uh, in Fiji uh, doing, well, we were in the South Pacific, let's say that. We were in the South Pacific uh, for about a year doing missions work. While we were serving in Missouri, God began to speak to my wife and I about going overseas, giving a a season of our life in ministry to missions. Uh, It was dramatic and it was pretty intense. Uh, And as we were processing that, God actually laid on our hearts to go to the country of Samoa and American Samoa. And while we were in the Pacific, other opportunity came to minister uh, at some conferences. And so we also ministered in Fiji, Tonga, and New Zealand. Praise God. And Nigel, now you mentioned too in our short conversation there, another connection I didn't realize, the missionaries that were in the American soul were the blunts. And you said that's who actually was preaching when you first uh, came to a Pentecostal service. Is that what, is that right? Yes, yes, yes. I was 13 years old and uh, a young man uh, invited me to come to their Sunday school rally. And uh, the first person I ever heard preach was Brother Blunt. And uh, man, what an impact he made in my life. And uh, I will never forget it. He he told the story of three little pigs and how they built their homes with uh, sand and, uh, you know, on the sand and with sticks and all of that. And then he put it together with the, with the gospel. And I have never forgotten that experience and, and the love that I felt, the, the draw that I felt in that in the conference. And that's what made me come back again and again for more. Yeah. Hey, that reminds me of uh, when we were in Bible school and somebody for chapel service decided to read, what was it, Green Eggs and Ham or something <laughs> from Dr. Seuss? And they can imagine. It didn't work quite so well for them. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> but hey, hey, I'm glad it worked. Um, now, you talked about you were serving in, in uh, headquarters at Missouri. What were you doing there at headquarters? So we were in Missouri, and I was serving as a leadership training and development coordinator. Uh-huh. Um, my responsibility was to serve with a subcommittee of the general board to uh, develop materials and opportunities to train leaders. Uh, we would have a couple of meetings twice a year. The general board would establish uh, some things that they would like to see happen, and then I would follow that, follow them up. 
follow those meetings up, excuse me, with um, a team of people and make their desires and their visions happen, I guess is the way wow. I would put it. And uh, the primary focus was a website called ministrycentral.com. Uh, it was the desire of the general board to have a one-stop shop location where our uh, people in our organization could be trained, whether they're youth yeah. workers, Sunday school teachers, musicians, whatever it is. And so that was the primary responsibility. I'm not that techie, uh, but I can, I, I would consider myself a developer. So I mm. just pulled a team together that was techie and I was the project manager and kind of just uh, relaying what the board wanted and trying to do my best to make it happen. And so that was my primary responsibilities while I was there. It was an exciting time. I'll tell you to check out Ministry Central if you yeah. have it. There's training there for music and Sunday school and church planning and youth workers. And yeah. it's continually being developed. And I know the last time I got numbers, we had over 4,000 users. We were yeah. in over 22 countries. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a tremendous resource, and it's yeah. just getting better and better. Well, I'll tell you, I'm one of those 4,000. I love Ministry Central. And now it seems like it's kind of morphed, merged. I don't know exactly how the whole process went with Launcher Ministry and and all that. And I know now it's becoming part of your uh, ministerial credential requirements. Uh, We talked about this recently, I think maybe three episodes ago. Whether you're pursuing license at this moment, listener, go check it out. You need to go ahead and do this anyways. It's going to benefit your ministry. I don't know of anything else you can do right now for so little investment and get so much value out of it. Yeah, Yeah, you need to go to Bible school. Yes, you need to be pursuing, you know, reading books. But this is, I mean, it's your fingertips. And most of it, or a lot of it's free. There's some that does cost, but so much of it. And and the free stuff isn't the the junk to get you to pay. It's it's good (laughs) stuff you're getting free. I I just, I I don't know how to encourage you strongly enough. Go check it out if you haven't. Um, and then if you're, when you do pursue license, you have to do it anyways. So you might as well go yeah. and use it and, and make benefit. I mean, there's, there's like he said, there's so many good in, in, in the, the high level leaders are producing videos and it's, it's incredible. It really is. You have to go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes for this show again. If you didn't see it in, in the episode, we talked about it before. Yeah. The, uh, let me just join him in encouraging you again to do the same there. As he said, there's over 50 free videos done. They're high level. The speakers are phenomenal speakers and men of yeah. God. Most of them are only about 12 to 16, maybe 18 minutes long. Right. It's not going to take a lot of your time, but it's going to make a huge impact in your life. And there's even continuing education, which is $9 a month, and it gives you a repository of videos. It'll blow your mind. It's incredible stuff that'll help your marriage, it'll help communication, your preaching, it'll teach you theology. You know, it's just amazing. It's practical. Uh, And so I'm 100% behind it. And I'll tell you this, it's just going to get better and better Uh, as it continues to develop. But it's a phenomenal resource. Yeah, and it's clear Uh, that— And so that's why we were there. Yeah. And it's clear that this is something that they're they're intending to continue to to push forward. It's it's gradual, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years, and I think it'd be a good thing if we would join the ranks of a lot of the other denominal world and have required continue education. Um, I've talked to a couple Methodist guys, and they have to, you know, as an electrician, I have to do continued education. Why would I not? feel the same necessity, you know, a doctor has to do it. Why should we not have to continually be improving ourselves? So I'd be all in favor of if they made it compulsory, um, but whether they do or not, you need to do it. Um, now, I, I know also in our, in our conversation, you mentioned you worked with getting P7 started, and we've seen that 
it, I mean, from the t- time I heard about it, it was already doing so well, and it just seems like re- recently it's really ramped up and taken off, and it, we're constantly hearing just almost miraculous stories of things that are happening through it. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your vision of, of how that came to be, and then you know what, where you saw it go, and, and how that's all yeah. playing out? We love, man, I love P7. I love all our P7 missionaries uh, that is striving to... Uh, you know, unlock their faith, unleash truth, elevate Christ and serve others in their schools. Amazing things are happening. You know, uh, P7, the, the concept of P7 uh, was developed in, before I was invited on the team. I did have the privilege and the honor of be, being one of the founders of it. Uh, the general youth division, I believe it was Brother Shea Mann at the time, who was our youth president. He, he had a real desire for a ministry like this to be developed. And, uh, and and shared. It was a vision, I believe, that he had. And so he kind of started the process of developing it, um, and they had identified it or come to a place where they were going to identify it as Project 7, and they, they had some thoughts about it. Um, I know in 2013, I think it was in March of 2013, Brother Matthew Johnson came to Appleton, Wisconsin, where I was serving on the pastoral staff. And uh, he came uh, just to experience our church in the weekend with us. And he learned while he was there that we were at that time in seven schools. We had about seven Bible clubs going in seven schools. And so he was able to learn about it and learn about the wonderful things that God was doing through our Bible clubs in the schools that we had at that time. So he went back to headquarters. They were planning to launch P7 at uh, Youth Congress in 2013. This is March. They're going to launch in August, but there was much to be done still. He went back and I think he spoke to his committee as well as uh, uh, one of the P7 leaders. Also, I think the P7 director at the time, and uh, they all considered adding me to, to, the, to the team. And so uh, I had the, the cool opportunity to join the team and help them to, to develop it and realize that vision by uh, Youth Congress. Folks, it was crazy because it was mm. late March. Yeah. It was late March. Yeah. And we had to we had to develop merchandise, websites, teaching material. I mean, everything we needed to launch that ministry at yeah. Youth Congress. <laughs> I didn't wow. sleep much at all. It was oh, something else. Wow. But you know, we worked hard, and over that course of <clears throat> yeah. time, we developed everything that was going to be necessary to launch it. The morning of Youth Congress, that morning that it was going to begin, before I got on the bus to go with our church, I was still uploading lessons to the website. Because while it was going to be launched on Thursday night and the conference or Congress started on Wednesday night, they wanted everything to be live and available by noon on Wednesday. So yeah. it was well, quite uh, an undertaking. <laughs> it was quite an undertaking. And uh, <sighs> certainly it wasn't just me. There were there were a few of us working hard to make it happen. And um, once we launched it on that Thursday night, I believe it was, the teenagers just took it and ran with it. And yeah. um, I, I we have we have, you know, hundreds of Bible clubs in North America. Now we've got Mm -hmm. so many testimonies of entire families being saved, miracles happening in schools, principals in schools, principals in schools are asking the P seven clubs to lead like community events. And it's just been phenomenal. And it's all the teenagers. I mean, we, we, 
We right. certainly commend them for doing what they're doing. And, and for years we prepped them, you know, we prepared them and prepped them to, to, to uh, really, you know, carry the gospel and yeah. be an example. And the moment we put an opportunity in their hands, they yeah. prove their strength and their Amen. determination and Ooh. they ran with it. And it's yeah. been phenomenal what has happened. Um, and uh, we continue to develop it. And, uh, you know, there's, I haven't seen the numbers in a while. Unfortunately, uh, going into missions, I had to kind of withdraw from it because it was going to be difficult to serve overseas and serve Project 7. It was the best interest of Project 7 for me to withdraw so that someone could focus on it appropriately. Uh, that was not easy to do because I love P7. Um, and I'm still certainly an advocate and I'm connecting with P7 leaders as I travel in North America right now and doing anything I can to uh help the current P-17. They're doing a great job because we love it with all our hearts. But it's been amazing what has happened through P-7. In Appleton, where I'm from, we have not only seven clubs, but I think we have 13 clubs wow. now. Well well over 100 <laughs> students are meeting a week in high school. But wow. I know P-7 clubs in the Midwest where over 100 are meeting in one club every wow. week. Oh, wow. wow. But it's not it's not just about numbers. And so we don't right. want to get fixed on that. It's about, you know, fulfilling the vision and the purpose yes. of P7. And we've got right. students doing that with three and four and five. And that's just as successful. Yeah. And we're super excited about it. But God's yeah. doing great things through P7. Uh, well, it seems to me like um, the thing that I guess is different about P7 is for so long, we've said, go teach Bible studies, teach Bible studies. But now it's like it's so practical. It's like follow, re, it's follow the manual. Now, I, I don't, haven't personally been involved with P7, but from everything I've seen of it, it just seems like it's so, just do exactly this and, and everything you need, we're giving you. And it just takes someone to do it. Absolutely. And that was the goal. We wanted to remove all the barriers we could. Yeah. So we tried to prepare everything they would need down to a letter to give their principal, uh, yeah. you know, how to structure the club, the lessons. I mean, how to structure the whole club session. Uh, and we just knew that if we could remove some of those barriers that's intimidating to them and give them exactly what they needed, that, that they would have the determination and the tenacity and the drive to get the job done. And that's what mm -hmm. they have absolutely done. Nigel, I feel like you haven't talked much. I don't want to cut you out. No, that's right. I, this is good, man. I'm just soaking it in. I don't know. Um, would you would you give our listeners a little bit about um, maybe some tips on soul winning and and your passion on soul winning and and I I've heard that you've served on foreign fields now and 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 now uh, you're you're going into metro missions as well so obviously you're a man with a passion you're a man with a desire would you mind giving us some some nuggets on soul winning and and share your passion. With them, man. Well, certainly, I uh, am a, a great advocate and a proponent of reaching people, sharing the gospel with people. First thing I would say is, uh, whatever way in which you choose to reach people and make disciples and share the gospel, don't do it without praying first. Amen. Uh, there's yeah. such a tremendous need to pray. And uh, what we need to do is we need to pray before we invest and we work and we plow and we plant. 
We have to pray that God would touch hearts and that the veil would be pulled back so that people can see their own condition and they can see God's hand reaching for them and they can see the truth that you are trying to impart to them and share with them. Uh, I think this is important no matter what we're doing, whether we're preaching, teaching a Bible study, talking to somebody on an airplane, on a street corner, in a school, whatever it is, we have to pray, God, pull back the veils. Because no matter who we are, we all contend with veils, a veil that tends to get between us and God's word and truth and God's purpose and will for our life. Now, the veil can be different, but everyone deals with veils. For some people, the veil is pornography. Their mind's Mm. so clouded with pornography, they can't see God's word, his purpose, their potential, their condition, none of that thing. None of that. For some people, the veil's bitterness. Some people, it's wounds. Some people, it's pride. Some people, it's traditions. For some people, it's Mm. false doctrines. And some people, it's arrogance. They think they're confident. They're really just arrogant. And, And that is a veil. These behavioral problems and troubles that we have, these issues that we wrestle with, become a veil that interfere with us seeing God's purpose, his will, hearing from him. And so I think whether you're preaching, teaching, uh, you know, reaching for people through evangelism, making disciples, there has to be this fervent prayer. God, pull back the veil that people can see, uh, because if they can't see, our work is in vain, really, to an extent. And so that's the first thing I'd say. We got to reach people, but we got to pray. We got to pray. And let God prepare their hearts and open their eyes that they would be ready for that moment. Now, I think that there are many effective ways to, quote unquote, evangelize, to reach people. I think it's good to practice many of them. You know, we there, there's a lot of different ways to catch fish. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that, you know, if you're going to be really effective at catching fish, you're going to try a lot of different ways in order yeah. to do that. You yes. know, yeah. and uh, so I, I believe in, you know. Uh, being diverse or, uh, you know, vast in our efforts, probably not the best word, but trying different things, having a lot going on, have a lot of lures in the water in order to catch fish. Now, if I were to say what I believe is the most effective, I think what is most effective is personal evangelism, one-on-one evangelism. And I think it's effective because it's relational and it's typically long-term. And so you can achieve more with that. Mm. So, I, I, I believe that that is uh, the real way to, to develop people, to make disciples, to reach people is personal evangelism. Um, and now I think one way to uh, kind of uh, get people's attention, one way to uh, develop an opportunity to share Christ with people and open the door, if you will, to personal evangelism is through stories. What I like to do when I meet people is I'll say, tell me your story. I want to know your story. And if I'm on a plane, if I'm on a bus, if I wherever I'm at, if I have an opportunity to connect with someone, I'll often ask that question. Tell me your story. Most people like to tell their story. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of walls will come down when they're telling their story. They start to get comfortable. So I have them tell me their story. And as they're telling the story, I'll ask questions, you know, uh, about as, as they're, I'll kind of let their story lead me to certain questions and, and of course, let the spirit lead as well. And what I find is after they share their story and you show them that you're interested and it's meaningful to you, then they cannot help but to have you tell them your story. 
Right. Right. And when they want to hear your story, that's your opportunity to carefully and sensitively insert Christ, insert the transformation that's happened in your life through truth, through a personal relationship with God. So you do like they do. You tell them where you live. You tell them where you work. You tell them about your family. You tell them about your children. And as you're doing that and they're they're you're hooking them and you're drawing them in, then right. you you just carefully include Jesus Christ in that story and how significant your life has changed because of his presence and his truth that's in your life. Right. So I to, to me, I find story is the best way to reach people and move them to a place where they want to hear about Christ. They might even want to know more. And. Hey, your story may be full of miracles. People, even people who aren't, quote unquote, believers and faithful church attenders, Mm -hmm. they like to hear about miracles. There's something mysterious about it. So, look, if you're telling them your story and God has healed you from something significant, that's got to be in the story. And that's Uh going to get their attention. If he delivered you from addiction or some kind of terrible life choice or lifestyle, you insert that because that yeah. gets people's attention and these right. things are undeniable. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like the word is clear with us that there's power in our testimony. In other yeah, words, our story, power in our story and people love stories. So yeah, learn yeah. your story, practice yeah. telling your story to yourself yeah. and then ask people, what's your story? Huh. Yeah. And that and then is... wait and you'll have a chance to tell yours. Yeah, I um in our youth class I recently was telling telling them, I'm like, look, if you want little chances, I was like, first thing you do Monday morning, what'd you guys do this weekend? I was like, because they're gonna tell you, and then if exactly. they're not rude, they have to ask you, what did you do this weekend? Well then now I'm telling you, but I'm not just telling you to force you. You asked me. How can you get mad at me for answering the question you asked me? Well, yeah, I made you ask the question, but you know, and it's not manipulative. It's just common sense, I guess. I like that. Tell, tell your story because, you know, we're called to be witnesses. And when you call a witness to the stand, you don't ask someone who was there, well, tell me about the caliber of the bullet and, and the handgun and the markings. Well, that's, you're not an expert witness. So I, you know, God didn't call me to know every detail about the theology and to argue. Call me to be a witness. Yes. The main thing I'm an expert on is what he did for me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I if it. I have some theology in there, great. But what he did for me, that's what I'm a witness to. And yeah, we can go from there, but that's where it always, for me, has to start. If I start from art, even trying to discuss biblical differences, it never goes anywhere. But yeah. if I start with yeah. my story, no. what, you're, gonna call, you're calling me a liar because my story is made up? No, you can't argue with a story. Right. Yeah, when you when you try to open with doctrine, it, they, they build up walls. But if you yeah. just tell your story, there's there's yeah. no walls. That, thank you so much. That was that's fantastic. I think that's too. Fantastic. If I can continue with it, just a yeah, thought, of but this goes in alignment with the prayer first. This yeah. is something that's uh-huh. important to me, and this is something an elder spoken in my life uh, is what I try to do every morning is uh, and throughout my day is I try to. Uh, basically pray Isaiah 11 verses two through about, I think maybe eight, nine, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically what it says in that prayer is let the spirit of the Lord be on me today. Let the fear of the Lord be upon me today. Mm -hmm. Let the fear of the Lord go before me today and affect people's lives. Let there be a spirit of understanding 
and wisdom be upon me. Let a spirit of strength and counsel be upon me today. Make me of quick understanding throughout this day. Let my words uh, uh, defeat darkness and also let my words encourage light and truth today. Let me be Uh, I think it says, let my reins be faithfulness and let my belt be righteousness. So let Mm -hmm. my directive today be faithfulness and let what holds me together be righteousness. Mm -hmm. And it says, don't let me judge anything by my eyes and my ears today Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I don't see things and hear things the way I should. So don't let my eyes and my ears be my judge today, but let your spirit and you be my judge today, God, and everything that I do. And, and, And when I am judging others, it talks about how to do that. And so I pray that prayer every day. And before anything that happens, before I before I'm going to minister or teach or preach, I'll pray that prayer again because that's my desire. And I find that to make a significant difference. And it's, you know, it's not uncommon. I was on an airplane the other day and all I did, I said, I asked the lady, I said, could I sit by you? She said, yes. I sat down. We all got comfortable and uh, we were about to take off. She asked me a question. I simply responded and told her what I did. She said, I knew you were a Christian. <laughs> she said, I could just feel it. I could tell you were a Christian. So I'm going to connect that back to that prayer yeah. and the goodness Praise of God. God. Yeah. That the spirit of the Lord was on me and that the fear of the Lord went before me. And what that means yeah. is not only will I fear the <laughs> Lord today, but people right. in which I encounter for even a brief moment might yeah. fear the mm. Lord as well, respect yeah. and revere him as well. So I think and part of that prayer thing is have a prayer like that. I would encourage Man. you to consider Isaiah 11 and, and let that be a real priority to you. Uh, and it'll make a significant difference. Now, I remember when um, it wasn't set too many months ago. I can't remember for sure how long, but you were at our church and, and in a smaller setting, you were talking about, um, something your pastor had had you and I believe all the other young ministers in your church are, do, and that is to make a list of kind of the non-negotiables, the doctrinal items that you you knew you were supposed to believe, and then to pray that God would would give you a revelation. Um, is that, am I remembering that right? And kind of talk about that a little bit. Yes, um, I think. And I I learned this from my leadership, but I believe with all my heart that it is absolutely necessary that every Christian, but certainly everyone, every minister, everyone that feels a tug on their heart to be in ministry, to have revelation. The Bible talks about how the word of God would be planted or engrafted in our hearts. I feel like what plants the word is revelation. It's these unique divine moments where God shows us something uh, and we just feel a tremendous heavenly confirmation. And I think that memorization is fantastic. Knowing where this is at in the Bible is fantastic. But we have to make sure we have a revelation where we know we had a moment where God came down and confirmed to us that baptism in Jesus name is not only in the book, but it's endorsed by him and it is his perfect will. And whether it's baptism and salvation or it's holiness and separation and modesty and and every doctrine, every one of the Jesus Christ doctrines, all the teaching of the disciples, those significant things, my leadership encouraged me to note them on paper and seek Jesus for a revelation for those issues. Yeah. Because there will be a challenge someday, but if you have a revelation, 
you will stand firm. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Aaron Soto, says this. I've heard him say this before. He said, if a man talks you into something, another man can right. talk you out of right. it. Right. Yeah. But if God talks you into something, no one is going to talk you out of it. Right. And that's the whole point here is that. We need to get it on paper and get it in writing and then have a divine moment where God speaks it into our spirit and it right. becomes deeply embedded in our belief systems. And from that moment, conviction will be born in your life right. yes. by the revelation that comes. So I encourage you, just as I was encouraged to do, write these things down, identify yeah. scriptures, note scriptures, and yeah. then spend time in prayer saying, God, speak to me. And yes. endorse this in my life and in my spirit and, and, yeah. and just speak to me to where I know this is from you. Even if I don't yeah. fully understand it, but I know because you spoke to me, this is absolutely from you. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, to yeah. be clear, this is not endorsing extra biblical revelation. We're not no, saying, well, no, no. you know, you sit down and come up with whatever plan. You know, it's, it's like, brother, and he, he mentioned it right now. He said, you got to do it in the word and you're looking in the word. And as, and for me, every time, every single one of these revelation moments has happened when I was studying the word. And I, the first time I ever remember having kind of that, that light bulb moment was in, at ABI studying the oneness of God. And I, I, from as young as I can remember, I've never doubted it. I've known it. I've believed it with everything in me, but it was like, just in a moment, I loved it. And that, yes. so it, that yeah. it was, and I, it was like a divine moment. It went, and, and I, I heard somebody say that the, the distance between a follower of Christ and a Pharisee is 18 inches between your head and your heart. <laughs> and, and that's yeah. what happened yeah. in that moment. It switched from just being head, which yeah. I believed it. There was no doubt. And, and I, you know, probably enough, I'm not saying it was enough to be saved and all that. I'm not saying it's not good to know it. You got to know it, but it's got to get down. Cause he didn't say, that you're going to be sent a strong delusion. When I say he, I mean God, of course. That you're going to be sent a strong delusion because you didn't know the truth. That's because you didn't right. love the truth. Love, love and, it, love and, it. And it's good. Something I kind of noticed when Jesus was tempted. You know, first the devil said, "Hey, you know, make your um, use use the your supernatural power for your own benefit." He said, "I, uh, you know, the Bible says don't do that." Then he said, "Okay, cast yourself down." And get a lot of attention for yourself. He said, okay, no, the Bible says don't do that. But then the devil says, worship me. And all of a sudden, it, the, the tone seems to change. It seems like Jesus got angry. And he said, get out of here. Because now, you're, no, this is doctrinal and, and there's a passion there. And, it's, and I, I feel like that kind of symbolizes it. When you're talking about the, this, this worshiping something other than God, no, now this is a passion and, and there's something, another level there. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about. It's got to go from your head, your heart. It's not getting some spiritual word from the Lord that supersedes everything else. Good. Right. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. And that's a good way to put it from the head to the heart. And that, that is the absolute goal is right. that it would just be planted in your heart. And God has to help to do that without yeah. question. It has to be a God moment. Definitely. And I feel like if you don't have those moments and that's how my leaders felt, if you don't have the yeah. moments Trials will come and they may lead you away because you lack mm. that love and you lack that certainty about yeah. God's word. Yes. And, Amen. you know, that's that's what we got to be careful of. I heard I had a uh, elder just tell me recently. He said, well, you don't really know if you believe something until you have to stand for it. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you really haven't believed in something until you've actually stood for it. Up until that point, we might say you've been in agreement 
But mm-hmm. you really uh-huh. know, you really know if you believe something when you have to stand for it. Yeah, and it's man. the standing is the hard part. The standing right. is the hard part. Right. But it's not as hard to stand when you've gotten it from Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like um, a little bit off topic, but it's the exact same thing as you know, my pastor always says, um, you're not you don't know if you're submitted until you disagree. It's easy to be yes, submitted. Exactly. As long as you're like, yeah, I submit to you saying what I want you to say, but that's not submission. That's just agreeing. But it's when he says, no, you're wrong, or I disagree with you. And I can have all the reasons, the biblical scriptural reasons that I disagree, but well, that's when, you know, if you're submitting the same thing and and you got to, if you're just agreeing, you're in a church surrounded by people who believe the same thing. Well, do you believe it or you just agreeing? Yeah, it's very, very, very good. So, Brother Williams, uh, let's let's talk about what you're doing right now, and uh, how did you kind of, I guess, I guess, how did you get the calling to, or see the vision towards going to Metro Missions? I know that you have done four missions and you served overseas, and uh, how did you come to choose Metro Missions? Well. I think it's a great question. And I go back to God's will being our most important desire. I will say that uh, I am excited that God has allowed my family to be a Metro missionary. However, I can tell you that four years ago, I would have never thought I would be a church planner. Mm. In my mind, I felt like I had been prepared, if you will, for other other responsibilities, a different role, if you will, other than a church planner. And that I had no uh, negative thoughts about church planners. It just in my yeah. mind, I just didn't think that I was going to be a church planner. You know, I've met what? some guys and they say, I knew all my life I was going to start a church. Uh-huh. And then God surprised me and called me to this existing church. Yeah. <laughs> and I would probably be, exa- I would be the opposite. You know, for me, it was, I, I felt like for a long time, I was going to be responsible for pastoring an existing church. And then here I am now going to start churches. Yeah. And it, that's a God thing for me. That's why I bring it up. It's a God thing. It goes back to God's will is most important. And um, God's commands are more important than my own comfort. And that's what it goes back to. Now, we we learned a long time ago that God's commands were more important than our comfort. And I would encourage you early on to do the same. Uh, as human beings, we tend to lean in the direction of what gives us comfort. And oftentimes God's commands and his will will put us in a very uncomfortable place. Not always, but often it does. We have to come to terms with that and be willing to say, you know what, God, I can live in an uncomfortable place as long as I know I'm fulfilling your commands and your will in my life. And I know that a place that might initially be uncomfortable to me can become comfortable when I'm in your absolute will. And so for us, it goes back. I want to be in God's will, whatever that might be. Now, we went overseas and we had a wonderful time and we sought God's will about seeking a long term appointment over there. And we were willing, but we felt like God never gave us a green light to do that. Uh, And so when we came back to the U.S., we began to seek God as we were evangelizing about his will for our future. I can tell you that my wife and I spent the better part of the first eight years of our ministry and our marriage in Portland, Oregon. And we fell in love with Portland, Oregon, the people, the climate. It was just a place we fell in love with. And God really put a burden in our hearts for that city. Uh, 
Yeah. When God when God required of us to go elsewhere for ministry purposes, we were surprised because we love the city so much. But we knew it was God's will, at least at that time, to go where he was calling us to go. And we did that. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is if you will be faithful to his his call and his commands, there will be a day when he will give you the desires of your heart if those desires are according to his will. Right. And I feel that is the case with us. I feel that after we followed his commands, us have the desires of our heart, which is to return to the city of Portland, Oregon and start churches. And I feel such a peace about that. And I'm very excited about that. And so it's just a God thing for us to go to the city we love with all our hearts and start churches. We're very excited about it. Sure, there's some discomfort, but we're super excited. And we know God's got everything under control. All I would say is just for your own personal self, make God's will your priority. Yeah. And that's not easy, but make it your priority and yeah. serve as God commands. And I assure you, he will give you the desires of your heart yeah. in his timing. He will do it if you prove yourself faithful. Right. And but it's not easy following God's will at all, because sometimes it takes us to uncomfortable places. Uh, I've learned this, that sometimes you're going to have to serve other people's dreams before you get to serve your dream. Yeah. And you look at Joseph, Joseph had to, uh, before Joseph ever realized his own dreams, he had to help other men realize their dreams. And sometimes in God's process, he's going to expect you as a young man to help other men realize their dreams before you have the opportunity to realize and serve the dreams that God's placed in your heart. It's a part of his process and his will. If you'll be faithful to that, the day will come and he will let you serve the dreams that are in your heart and in your spirit. If you'll just be faithful to that. And as I said, to make another point, it's not easy. It's not easy. We can get caught up in popularity. We can get caught up in the opinions of men. We can get caught up in ambition, self-ambition instead of God's will. And these things can distract us from God's perfect will. I carry a lot of respect and reverence for uh, Philip, Philip in the Bible, because and while I don't have it in front of me in all the exact details, what I do recall with Philip is Philip. God was using Philip as a servant, as a deacon, and then his ministry was growing and developing. And Philip was ministering to many, many lives. And then a moment comes where God takes Philip out of that setting. And puts him out in the middle of nowhere, if you will, with one person. Yeah. Now, Philip could have been upset and said, God, I was having a good time with that crowd, quote unquote, crowd over there. And I was making an impact. And now you put me out here in the middle of nowhere with one man. And he could have ministered to that one man with a bad attitude, begrudgingly. I mean, there's a number of ways you can look at it. But he did not do that. I think for Philip, it was God's will was most important. If God's will allowed him to preach to 300, he would do it. But if God's will required him to go out in the middle of nowhere and speak to one man, he would do it with a cheerful spirit. And I think that's where we have to be as young men and as leaders. God, whatever your will is, if your will is 300, I'll be there. If it's one, I'll be there. Whatever your will is, that's where I want to be. And that is my deepest, deepest desire. Uh, and God's will, that's how 
we're going to go back to Portland. It's just God's will for our life. And we're super excited about it. It's been confirmed by spiritual leaders and authorities in our life. We find comfort and peace in that. And uh, we're ready to go to Portland and see God do mighty things there. Yeah, it's always nice when it's been confirmed. I remember even recently when we came here, there were just some things that happened along the way of God providing. And I knew when it happened, it was so clear of him making it clear that he had orchestrated us coming. I was like, I know there's going to be times where it's tested and where we would otherwise be absolutely certain we were out of the will of God. And so I was kind of like, man, Lord, why'd you have to make it so clear? Because I know the hard times are coming, but it's definitely nice to have those landmark moments you can look back on and say, hey, God's brought us here in a song that, that my dad actually wrote. It says he didn't bring us this far to forget us. You know, he knows the path our feet now tread. And, and that always is a song that means a lot to me. Future Tim here. Well, our conversation went a little longer than planned. So we decided to split it up into two parts. In case you just can't wait to listen to episode 26 and you want to find out more about what Brother Williams is doing or if you want to partner with him financially, you can reach him through Facebook, Twitter, or his email address, cawilliams350 at gmail.com. All those links will be in our show notes at behindthebulletpodcast.com slash 25. Thank you so much for listening and we look forward to hearing your feedback. Until next time, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.